In the spring of uh, 1535, a little book was published in Germany titled, A Simple Way to Pray for a Good Friend, Peter the Master Barber. The little book was Martin Luther's letter to his dear friend, Peter Beskendorf. And Peter had asked Martin uh, for some practical guidance in how to pray, and Luther kindly responded. Dr. R.C. Sproul said, About Luther's little treatise, no book has done more to revolutionize my personal prayer life than this little book by Martin Luther. Now, Dr. Sproul wrote a children's book about this story titled The Barber Who Wanted to Pray. It's a great little children's book, wonderful paintings and pictures in there, and you might want to check this out later. Uh, But uh, Martin Luther's idea and premise was pretty simple. It was commit three things to memory, the Lord's Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed, and then use those as prayer guides, uh, expanding each line in your own words. This this very simple uh, method helps adults and children pray simple, scriptural, and sincere prayers. And I think this is what Jesus was after in Matthew 6. See, Jesus didn't teach the Lord's Prayer so we would simply recite it verbatim over and over again. Sometimes we recite it verbatim. I think we should. However, that wasn't Jesus' primary intent. Jesus gave his disciples this prayer as a model or as a structure. More than precise words, Jesus gave profound themes or categories that should shape our prayers. By memorizing the Lord's Prayer, we always have in our minds a prayer outline from which we can form God-honoring prayers. Now, if you're like me, you may struggle to pray. Uh, may find that your mind goes blank sometimes. Uh, may find it hard to, to get the right words Um, may repeat yourself, may even feel guilty about your struggles and prayers, may even ashamed, uh, maybe when you consider how long that you've been a Christian, that you should maybe have have it down by now. Well, you're not alone in those struggles. But our struggles should not keep us from our Father or from learning how to pray more excellently. So the aim of the coming weeks is to encourage and equip you in prayer, Uh, so that your knowledge of and communion with God deepen. Well, you've probably memorized the Lord's Prayer, but do you understand the words? Do you understand the petitions enough that they shape all of your prayers? So I want to help you understand the Lord's Prayer, hopefully better than you've ever understood it before. Why? Well, to experience greater intimacy with God and to receive his grace and his spirit in our deep needs so that we can live for God, for the God that we love. So what I'm after today and in the coming weeks is this, and I mentioned this last week, that Christ would form in you and me a heart for God and a proper stance, style, and substance of prayer as members of the covenant of grace. Our focus in the coming weeks will be on the substance of prayer. However, we will continue to learn about the style and the stance, or the stance and the style as well. So our stance, a little bit of review, must be one of true faith in God. We pray out of necessity, expecting to receive God's grace and his Holy Spirit, which God is glad to give those who ask him. 
So we pray with hope. God is pleased with our prayers when we offer them to him sincerely in the name of his son, by the help of his spirit, and according to his will. And our stance must be one of understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. Our style must be simple, scriptural, and sincere, and most often done in solitude. Prayer expresses our trust where we beseech our Father to meet our our deepest needs, believe our Father will meet our deepest needs, and bless our Father for meeting our deepest needs. Now, notice where the Lord's Prayer begins. Here's my opening point. Our Lord Jesus graciously gave us the substance of prayer which pleases our Father and brings us closer to Him. Jesus began, pray then like this. That's a command introducing the kind of prayer which pleases God. When Jesus said, like this, he meant in this manner or in this way. Some people assume that Jesus intended us to recite his words verbatim over and over again, but mechanical repetition was not Jesus' aim. Verbatim is great, okay? But we must go beyond mechanical repetition to the true substance of the prayer, Calvin explained that point very nicely. He said this, It was not the intention of the Son of God to prescribe the words which we must use so as not to leave us at liberty to depart from the form which he has dictated. His intention, rather, was to guide and restrain our wishes that they might not go beyond those limits And hence we infer that the rule which he has given us for praying aright relates not to the words, but to the things themselves. Not to the words, but to the things themselves. Well, what are those things? Jesus' intent was to give us a prayer guide that gives profound categories, or we could say topics, that should form our prayers. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. A petition is a reverent request, a reverent supplication. Jesus implies that these six petitions in the Lord's Prayer are what his disciples should desire in their hearts. Each petition expresses the idea of, Father, this is what I really want. What I really want you to do for me, your child. Will you do it, Father? So here are the six petitions. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from evil. These six petitions express what we should desire most of all and ask as God's children. Does that make sense? Hopefully you're tracking with that. It's it's important for us to memorize the Lord's Prayer, to help our kids Memorize it so that we all have an outline and and the categories from which we can form simple, scriptural, and sincere prayers. When I taught my three oldest to ride bike, uh, there were some frustrated tears. And that was just me. No, I'm just kidding. For them, they were crying. They were the ones crying. But learning to ride bike, it's hard. When you're a kid and you're trying to make it work, it's hard. And it is sometimes disheartening. You just, am I ever going to get this? And so imagine, Andrew, we haven't gone through this with Andrew yet, but imagine that if, if when I teach Andrew to ride, I simply toss him a bike and I say, do it. 
Start riding. How about some wheelies in 720s, son? That's bad parenting. I would not be a good dad. But I think some people view prayer that way, as, as, if, as if a cold-hearted dictator is demanding, you better pray. Come on, you, you better do your duty. You better check this box. You, you want me to approve of you, don't you? Whoa, whoa. See, our view of God greatly influences our stance, style, and substance of prayer. When we know God as Father, we pray like little children in need of their father's grace. My kids eventually learned how to ride bike. How? They trusted their dad and his strong, confident, guiding hand of support. They learned from their dad's instruction and encouragement, and they did it. Their dad's ongoing instruction and encouragement helped turn their tears into smiles of joy as they zoomed around the parking lot. As weak children, brothers and sisters, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to pray, right? So how good of our Lord to teach us and to encourage us. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to pray and then leave them to figure it out on their own. He taught them how to pray in simple terms. They all learned and then he gave them the Holy Spirit so that he would lead them in prayer. And in life. And so I want to give you five adjectives, five descriptors of God-pleasing prayer, which I think emerge from the Lord's Prayer. Prayer that, prayers that please our Father are God-centered, familial, humble, reverent, and worshipful. Number one, prayers that please our Father are God-centered. Notice how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first three petitions are all centered on God. Your name, your kingdom, your will, and after those come give us, forgive us, deliver us. Which, by the way, are all for the purpose of serving and glorifying God. We don't start with our Christmas list of desires. We start with an awareness of God's greatness. And the rest of the prayer is built on God's greatness. Prayer must come from a heart that desires and reveres God and his sovereign will. God is not a genie, not Santa Claus, not a, a rich grandpa who sends expensive gifts uh, to spoil us. God is, however, a wise and loving Father who knows and meets our deepest needs. Prayers that please our Father are God-centered. Number two, prayers that please our Father are familial. Pray then like this, our Father, Father. People have tried to gender neutralize this prayer. Perhaps it should be our God in heaven instead of our Father in heaven to rid the prayer of any patriarchal baggage. Perhaps it should be our parent in heaven. One feminist prayer book has it like this. Beloved, our Father and Mother in whom is heaven. That's an entirely different prayer. That's a pagan prayer. One time I went to a wedding where 
In his prayer, the pastor referred to God as mother. In his heterodox book, The Shack, which sadly many Christians raved about, William Paul Young presents God the Father as a large, beaming African-American woman named Papa and the Holy Spirit as a small Asian woman named Sarayu. One evangelical Lutheran church on the West Coast gathers every Wednesday to recite prayers, including these two. Our mother who is within us and hail goddess full of grace. Saints, the word that our Lord Jesus gave us to enlighten us in how to relate to God is unmistakably pater, the Greek masculine singular noun for father. Jesus used the term father in reference to God 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. John W. Cooper made an excellent point in his book, Our Father in Heaven. Cooper noted this, quote, linguistically, all the clear and plausible instances of feminine reference to God are imagery or figures of speech, similes, analogies, metaphors, and personification. There are no cases in which feminine terms are used as names, titles, or invocations of God, and thus there are no feminine pronouns for God. There are no instances where God is directly identified by a feminine term, end of quote. So listen, if, if someone says they know my wife, but understand Christina to be a 270-pound bearded Norwegian man, they clearly have no idea who my wife is, even if they say they know who my wife is. Saints, those who truly know God know him as Father and, of course, as Son and Holy Spirit as well. To deny God as Father is to deny God's explicit word and the authority of Jesus Christ, God's Son, who has shown the Father to us. Jesus was explicit. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Our Father is the theology and teaching of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and the overwhelming testimony of the Holy Spirit in Holy Scripture. We, we think of God not in anatomically male terms. Be careful. God is a spirit and does not have a body. But in terms of Father, because that's how God revealed himself to us. The person who addresses God as our mother in heaven or something similar is not only ignorant of God's self-revelation in Scripture, they don't know the one true God and are not actually praying. To truly know God is to know Him as your heavenly Father. Let us know God, brothers and sisters, as He truly is. How is God our Father? Well, Zacharias Ursinus gave uh, three important but different ways to think about God as Father. They're helpful, so I'll share them with you. Number one, God is our Father in respect to our creation. In respect to our creation. Now, this is a tricky point, so you need to think very carefully as to not miss the point here. Creation is the only sense in which God is the Father of all men. The only sense. God is the father of all men only in the sense of being their creator. 
Adolf von Harnack was a liberal German the- uh, Lutheran theologian and historian from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And I believed it was him that coined the idea of the universal fatherhood of God and universal brotherhood of man. Harnock extended the Father of God beyond creation into redemption. Into redemption. As if God is the Father of everyone in terms of salvation. Well, that's heresy. Jesus said things to certain people like, quote, you are of your father the devil, end of quote. 1 John 3.10 is unmistakable. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this teaching shows up in other places as well. Scripture is absolutely clear. God is the creator of all, but he is not the father of all. Your sinus gave two ways in which God is the father of his beloved elect children. Number two, God is our father in respect to our redemption and reception into divine favor through Christ our mediator. Terms of our redemption and reception into divine favor through Christ our mediator. Only those who are redeemed and have God's divine favor through Christ, their mediator, have God as their father. See, God only has one begotten son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Every other child is a recipient of sovereign and saving grace and therefore is adopted. Adopted. We pray our Father only because we have been graciously adopted by God. Those whom God has not redeemed and adopted are still children of wrath, still children of the devil. Adoption. Adoption is central to the gospel and God's free grace. Without adoption, the gospel is not the gospel. Your sinus said, quote, Christ is is the only begotten and natural Son of God. We are by nature the children of wrath and are adopted as children by God for Christ's sake, end of quote. That's the gospel. That's gospel. Our adoption depends on God's sovereign decree and Christ's redemptive work as mediator and savior. Ephesians 1 says that God lovingly predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 talks about God sending his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then verse 15 refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption. The privilege of addressing Almighty God as our Father is reserved for those who are predestined for adoption, those redeemed by grace to receive adoption, and those who possess the Holy Spirit of adoption. God has an ear only for his beloved adopted children. So God is our father in respect to our redemption and reception into divine favor through Christ our mediator. Your sinus gave one more, three. God is our father in respect to our sanctification. 
or regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification or regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Your sign has said this. For since God, whom we call upon, is our Father, and loved us so greatly as to give his only begotten Son to die for us, how shall he not with him give us all things necessary to our salvation? Our Father gives us all things that are necessary to our salvation. We need grace. Our Father gives us grace. We need the Holy Spirit. Our Father gives us the Holy Spirit. We need forgiveness, strength, endurance, perseverance, protection, sanctification, and more. And our Father gives it to us, all of it, to us in Christ. So Father is a familial term. And notice it is our Father. He didn't tell them to pray my Father. He told them to pray our Father. We pray, brothers and sisters, as part of a family. We pray in familial solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not alone in prayer even if we are alone in prayer. When we pray, our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, we pray with an awareness that we are communing with our Father with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are his redeemed and adopted children united to to his eternally begotten and natural son. We are part of a royal holy family. Prayer is a family activity. We pray with deep love for our father, but also with a deep love for and a solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Your sinus rightly said, quote, for if we come into the presence of God, Having no regard for our brethren, the sons of God, he will not regard us as his sons. To be a true son and daughter of our Father in heaven is to love the entire family. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that when we were enemies of God, Condemned as children of wrath and children of the devil. Christ died for us so we could be adopted children of God. And now that we are adopted, now that we are secure in our Father's love, we approach Him with childlike reverence and adoration and love and need and dependence and thankfulness, knowing that He hears us. Knowing that He hears us. You are simply, you, you and I are just, we're, we're simply childlike, overwhelmed, needy toddlers reaching up to our Father, just begging Him, will you help me? I, I need help. Will you, will you come and help me? We have to get this. We have to know that our God is strong that our dad is ready and willing to give and to provide and to bless. If you understand these two simple words, our father, your prayer life will deepen. I have to move on quickly. Number three, prayers that please our father are humble. Growing up, I had a certain fear of my father. I think you'd say the same. It was a healthy fear. It should be there. He loved me, provided for me, spent time with me, counseled me, encouraged me, discipled me, and more. Disciplined me. I love my dad, 
and yet I was humbled before him. He, he, he had a look sometimes that could bring me to tears. Man, oh, I wasn't in control. He was in control as my father. And you know what? I am absolutely glad that he was. His authority and his strength as my father worked for my eternal good. I am thankful for my dad. Well, Heidelberg 120 asks, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our father? Why? Well, the answer is profound. To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. I want to give my kids the best of things. How much more our Father? Childlike reverence and trust toward God. We address God as our Father only because of Christ, our mediator. And that's humbling. We can't come to Him prideful. What are we bringing? What are we prideful in? We're humbled before the Lord. Are you humbled by the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ? Are you humbled by the fact that God accepts and loves you as his child only because of the merits of Christ granted to you through faith? Christ is the only reason God hears you and accepts you and loves you. Christ, that's it. If you understand the gospel, your prayers must be humble. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven... God is God. We are not. He is exalted in the heavens. We are not. He is transcendent, preeminent, and unmatched. We are not. We are tiny, powerless, helpless creatures on earth. Humility is fitting for the children of God because we were once children of wrath. And had it not been for Christ our mediator, we would still be children of wrath, children of the devil. Therefore, number four, prayers that please our Father are reverent. Our Father in heaven. God is not bound to this world. He is in heaven and therefore exalted in the majesty of His unrivaled and absolutely free power. Our Heavenly Father is capable of exercising His sovereign and free omnipotence over all that He has created. His works are never bound, never controlled by the will of men. His will is absolutely free, and He does as He wishes according to His perfect decree and will. Every man's sinful will, evil, even Satan, are all subject to our Father's sovereign reign and rule from heaven. Is God bound by time and space? No. He is here. He is there. He is everywhere. And we must bow and revere Him. To pray our Father in heaven is to acknowledge the celestial habitation of our God who dwells in unapproachable light. And to acknowledge his ethereal preeminence and providence, beauty and blessedness, glory and grandeur. Scripture says that the highest heaven cannot contain our Father. 
that heaven is our Father's throne and the earth is our Father's footstool, that our Father does whatever pleases Him in heaven and on earth, and that our Father does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The first three petitions are focused on the glory of God. And so Calvin said this, in the first three petitions, we ought to lose sight of ourselves and seek the glory of God. Not that it is separate from our salvation, but that the majesty of God ought to be greatly preferred by us to every other object of solicitude, end of quote. Leon Morris added this, we, we address God intimately as Father, but we immediately recognize his infinite greatness with the addition in heaven, end of quote. Seeing that we are on earth, okay, seeing that we are just simple creatures on earth, the phrase in heaven should prostrate us before our incomprehensible Father, This is humbling. Heidelberg 121 asks, why is there added who art in heaven? Why did Jesus include that little section? And Heidelberg answers this. These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So God's heavenly majesty is not human God is spirit and does not have a body. Our Father's heavenly majesty and almighty power lead us to reverence and expectation that he will meet our deepest needs, both our deepest needs for the body and our deepest needs for the soul. He is able. After all, he is in heaven. And there's more. The first of the six petitions is hallowed be your name, or we could say let your name be hallowed. Now, the, that's a fancy word, hallowed. I, I think in years past, I've been tripped up by that. What does that mean? It sounds, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard f- for me to grasp what that means. So what does it mean? Simply put, hallowed means to reverence something, to, to revere it, to honor something as sacred, to admire, or we could say venerate something. The first petition desires and asks that God's name be revered, considered sacred and holy, admired and venerated. Why? Because God's name is great. Because God himself is great. To ask that his name be held in reverence is to ask that he be held in reverence by us and by all. I love how William Hendrickson explained this petition. Listen carefully. This is really good. To hallow God's name means to hold it in reverence. Hence, to hold him in reverence, to honor, glorify, and exalt him. To do this far more than a merely intellectual knowledge of the meaning of the divine names is required. Humility of spirit, gratitude of heart, earnest study of God's works until observation changes into rapturous astonishment and worship is certainly implied. I love that we're observing in Holy Scripture, but it cannot stay at observation. It must change into rapturous astonishment and worship. That's implied in this this phrase. 
Scripture resounds, O Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Holy and awesome is his name. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Why did Jesus teach his disciples to hallow God's name? Because God himself is majestic and glorious and beautiful and mighty and unsurpassed. And if we truly know him, if we truly know God, dear brothers and sisters, we hallow his great name. Is the cry of your heart, Father, let your name be hallowed in me and in the world? the cry of your heart. This part of the Lord's Prayer parallels the first and third commandments quite well. We must have no other gods. That's out of question because our Father has the unsurpassed name. And we should never blaspheme His name because His name is preeminent and magnificent. Get this. This is just, whoa. In the Mosaic, in in, uh, Mosaic Law, Israelites who blasphemed God's name were guilty, and they were what? Stoned to death. Not hallowing God's great name was cause for capital punishment in Israel. Now, just let that sink in. Think about this. God has not changed with his zeal for his name. Leon Morris said about this first petition, it expresses an aspiration that he who is holy will be seen to be holy and treated throughout his creation as holy. End of quote. Our Father is holy, holy, holy. Now, knowing that to be the case, our Father's name must be revered and hallowed in heaven and on earth, in our hearts and in every single other person's across the universe, when we consider who our Father is and when we consider His glorious works, we want His name to be hallowed in our hearts and in every single heart across the earth. That's our heart's desire because we are beloved and adopted children of God. Hearing our Father's name blasphemed, tossed around as if it has no meaning just in a flippant way should make us just cringe Because blasphemous lips reflect blasphemous hearts that don't hallow God's name. Heidelberg 1.22 clarifies this so well. It asks, what is the first petition? What is the first petition? And we're going to see this as we continue to go through this. And Heidelberg answers, hallowed be thy name. That's the first of six petitions. And then Heidelberg explains, that is, so this is what it means, grant us first of all that we may rightly know thee and sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works, in which shine forth thy almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions that thy name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Isn't that what Jesus was getting at in the Lord's Prayer. Now think about this question. 
why is hallowed be your name the very first petition? Why, why did Jesus start there with that? Hallowed be your name is first because, as your sinus noted, the glory of God is the end and design of all the other petitions. It's what the whole prayer is about. The, the design of the Lord's prayer is entirely directed to the glory of God's great name. Let your kingdom come. Why? That our Father's name be hallowed. Let your will be done. Why? That our Father's name be hallowed. Give us our daily bread. Why? That our Father's name be hallowed. Forgive us our debts. Why? That our Father's name be hallowed. Deliver us from evil. Why? That our Father's name be hallowed. Do you understand the first petition? If you do, your prayers will relentlessly aim at the glory of God our Father. Five, prayers that please our Father are worshipful. Many people, they recite, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They can do it quickly. But for so many, it is just empty and meaningless ritual. Many people know the words of the Lord's Prayer and recite them often, but fewer people know the God of the Lord's Prayer and recite it with deep affection and with gratitude. J.C. Ryle said, Happy would it be for the world if this prayer was as well known in the spirit as it is in the letter. Is the Lord's prayer a heartfelt prayer for you? Or just... So prayers that please our Father are God-centered, familial, humble, reverent, and worshipful. Now here's the beauty of the gospel of sovereign grace. This prayer demands of us what we do not have in us. However, our gracious God and Father promises to supernaturally work these desires in us. And he is working them in us. That's his grace. The the spirit is working in us, brothers and sisters, aligning us to these things so that we actually want these things most of all. That's his sovereign grace. And, And when we really desire these categories, these things, we will ask and we will keep asking and petitioning our father. Our father alone says a ton beyond our comprehension these beautiful things of the gospel, it it tells us who God is. It tells us who we are in relation to him. And because we have been adopted by sovereign grace, brothers and sisters, God is now as our loving father working in our hearts these desires so that we want what he told us to pray. And then we ask him for these exact things, all of which are tremendous and the very best of the blessings of God. So, My encouragement to you is learn from Christ. That's not hard, is it, to to understand? Learn from Christ. When you're like, I'm terrible at praying, here you go. it's, It's your Lord saying, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. This is how to pray. Learn from Christ. Let him teach you who your father is, who you are in relation to God. 
and how to pray simple, scriptural, and sincere prayers using the categories of the Lord's Prayer and starting with the glory and majesty of our Father. Hallowed be your name. That's our start. That permeates everything. That's a great place to start. Now, some of you know I like basketball. I play hoops on Tuesday nights at Mannheim Brethren in Christ. And if you're a hoopster, please talk to me after the service. We could use a couple more players. But anyway, play, play hoops there. Love playing with the guys at Mannheim BIC. Just speaking transparently, I could benefit from Michael Jordan coming and teaching me how to shoot the ball. My jump shot struggles. So I could, I could use that. In the Lord's Prayer... Don't miss this. God is teaching me and you how to pray. God. Instruction from the Son of God is, wow. The Son of God teaching us how to pray in a way that pleases Almighty God. Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Righteous One, the One who has always had an ear with the Father, the One whose prayers are par excellence. It is this One, this beautiful Teacher, this beautiful Christ, this beautiful God who teaches us to pray. So I think we should listen and we should respond. 